Kia ora. What's up everyone? My name's Noah Woolof and I'm the host of the Beyond the Surface podcast, a platform to dive deep into the minds of incredible Kiwis who have a story worth sharing. For today's episode, I sat down with the bro Connor Garden Bishop, one of New Zealand's most talented young rugby players who's currently signed for Super Rugby Powerhouse, the Highlanders. We dove deep into the pressures facing professional athletes in today's age and how overcoming adversity and multiple injuries has helped to shape Connor's resilience. We also touched on the journey we have both been on being young dads and the motivation that fatherhood fuels you with. An inspiring episode with a future All Black and good friend. Welcome to episode number two. Connor Garden Bishop, welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. How are we doing, bro? Good, bro. Thanks for having me on. No, nah, mate, always a pleasure. And for those who can't see us, we're currently sipping a Spate Summit ultra low carb beer. I thought we'll go with the ultra lows because you're an athlete. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. Shooting for summer, baby. Awesome. <laughs> hey, bro, thanks so much for jumping on the potty. Um, before we get started, um, you know, if you could just introduce yourself for those people who don't know you, who is Connor Garden Bishop? Um, what do you do? Hey, uh, I'm Connor Garden Bishop, uh, born in London, raised in Wellington, uh, professional rugby player, I guess, for the past few years, um, chasing my dream and doing that, and uh, part of a big family and father of two young girls. So. Love it, brother. That's mm. awesome. How did you get into you know the pathway of playing professional rugby for, I think, probably every single young New Zealander, you know, that is, that is the dream in many regards. What was your pathway to become a professional rugby player? Good question, but I guess my pathway was sort of paved for me before I was even born. As you know, I come from a bit of a rich rugby background, uh, having a dad that played for New Zealand and Samoa as well. Um, my mum actually played for the Black Ferns as well and a couple of uncles and two cousins are all, all Blacks as well as my older brother. So I think it's fair to say rugby is in my DNA and... Um, yeah, something that I grew up loving and and always aspiring to be. It was sort of um, like like many other Kiwis. It was it was my dream from day one. Mm. So I was that kid that um, you know, slept with a rugby ball. I showered with it. It was my baby. So um, I guess yeah, it's sort of what I always wanted to be. You know, it was what I was always good at. And um, yeah, and I had some great role models that helped me get to where I am. So I'm pretty grateful for that upbringing. And like, yeah, it is. What's in the, you know, Garden Bishop sort of bloodline to produce so many, you know, world-class athletes? I'm sure there'll be some conversations with Rugby NZ and also the Barretts um, around what they can do to maybe, you know, make the super athlete there. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I wouldn't call us super athletes. I don't know. Uh, far out, who knows? Maybe we just got um, a lot of ticker, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Yeah. You you went to Scots College, played first 15 rugby there, and then from Scots you moved down to Christchurch um, and signed with them for Mitre 10. Um, do you want to just speak through sort of that process of getting your first professional contract and what that meant to you? Yeah, bro. Um, so I went to Scots. Obviously, that sort of started my rugby career when I made the, I made the New Zealand Barbarians in year 13, which – helped me gain a little bit of interest around myself um so yeah Canterbury approached me as well as Wellington and I sort of had to weigh up um the two unions and, and which pathway I wanted to take uh it was a hard decision because you know all my mates were here family was in Wellington but I knew um Canterbury sort of 
had this reputation for breeding, literally mm. breeding um, professional rugby players. So I think my heart was telling me to stay, but my head was telling me to go. So when I when I did make the decision and and just followed through with it and, and got on the plane down south, it was one that I didn't regret because as soon as I got there, I could tell like I made the right decision. Um, I was in a academy, a Crusaders academy with like a bunch of great lads. Like we all got on real well. And the standards that they drive down down there sort of um, set me up for for going forward and in, in life as well as as rugby. But yeah, I guess getting that opportunity to go down south was um, it was massive, bro. It was awesome. There's something that I'm pretty grateful for, and I'm grateful for my time in Christchurch. But um, yeah, bro, it was good. Man. Um, and then you got the opportunity, you signed for uh, the Wellington Lions before that. So after your time in Christchurch. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, bro. So I played, I was in Christchurch for a couple of years, went to Lincoln uni, which was a good time. Shout out to the Rams. Um, and I, so I had two years there and I absolutely loved it. So I knew at the, at the end of those two years when my initial contract was up and I had to make another decision whether I stayed, um, in Canterbury and re-signed or, uh, signed with Wellington who had approached me again, sort of, um, offering similar contracts. So it was, it was like I had to make the same decision uh all over again but the roles were reversed yeah. because like you know I've I've spent two years absolutely grinding in Christchurch um to sort of make these teams and get a bit of a name for myself down there I guess um but then so my heart was almost in Christchurch again but my head um saw this real good opportunity in Wellington you know they offered me um a good opportunity to play fullback play with my brother how special is that like, oh, you bro. know, to play and lace up with your bro. Um, what was that? What was that feeling like? You know, actually running onto the field with him for the first time. Oh, bro! Before before we ran on, just even getting to go to work with your older brother. Like every day, we roll up and um, we're, we're all shaking hands. But then, like w- one of these guys that I'm shaking hands with is my brother. You know, like he's the guy. He's five years older than me, so he's always been a little bit ahead. But I guess. Just to be in the same team as as someone like that, they always, I guess, idolised growing up as fucking mean. 100%. (laughs) So mean, bro. Um, The first time we played together was actually for Norths. Um, That's that's both our home club growing up. I think we might have even played against um, Periplum. Oh, you guys lost that game, eh? (laughs) Yeah, lost. I think, no, I think the score was like 101-5 or something. Yeah, well, I'll mute that one out. (laughs) Yeah, skip forward that one, bro. <laughs> but um, yeah, our first game together for the Lions was against Tasman, and we got pumped. But I remember I ran out, um, I ran out in front of him, and just having him him behind me was like, bro, it's the best feeling. It's something I don't know. It's just it's just what you dream of. Like we always dreamed of being in the All Blacks together. So I guess that was sort of the start of our journey playing together. And it's yeah, it's something I'll. Cherish forever. That's beautiful, bro. Mm. Um, is and you know, with every sibling, is there a lot of sort of competitiveness as well? Even if you're in the same team. Um, nah, me and Jackson, oh, we don't really compete against each other. We we got a good uh, relationship. We 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 just want the best for each other, and I guess we're we're different as like we play different positions, and we don't really, from a team perspective, we're not in a position where we need to compete. But I guess like. Off the field, like um, training wise and stuff, we'll, we'll we'll like have a subtle like, come on, boy, let's go, like you know, as brothers do. And I think it's probably it's probably um got a bit 
I don't know, closer over the few over the last few years as I've gone a bit bigger because he was way bigger than me. Um, for a lot of our, I guess, childhood. But um, yeah, it's not so much a competitive relationship, right? We just try push each other, you know. Yeah, yeah, in a healthy way. Mm. Um, so then you're with the Lions, and then you get the opportunity to be signed by the by the Highlanders in 2020. Um, talk to us about that year and what and, and what it meant to you to sign, you know, a contract in the Super Rugby. Um, that's if, if there's any footballers out there who loves soccer, you know. Um, the Super Rugby is like the Premier League yeah. or New Zealand and international rugby, really. Mm. Um, it's the upper echelon. It's where all of the All Blacks play, uh, all the top athletes in the world um, who lace up for rugby play in the Super Rugby. What did that What did that mean mean for you, bro? To you know finally sign that um, that contract with the Highlanders? I actually couldn't believe it. Eh? Um... It was yeah, so it was my it was my first year back in Wellington after being in Christchurch for two years, and I was I was having a bit of a rough year, like I was battling away with injuries, um, with my with a sore back, and I just missed out on like NZ twenties because of it because of these injuries, and I was missing my mates, and I was sitting there, and I was like, man, I was almost doubting whether I should have moved back, like would this have happened if I stayed in Canterbury, sort of thing, and I was missing my mates that I made down there, and then um. It wasn't long after I found out I wasn't going to be a part of the New Zealand under-20s that the Highlanders approached my agent and said, oh, we want to get Connor down to train. And I said, oh, sorry, guys, like I can't, I'm injured. And they tried two or three times, and then on, on the third or fourth time um, they tried, they said, oh, we don't actually want you to train with us. We want to offer you a contract for the next few years. And I was just like... <laughs> I was like freaking out because I talked to my agent and he and he sent me the contract and I was only 19 at the time like yeah this is I was still pretty young and for a kid like looking at this was this was me like looking at my future and I sort of thought like first of all I was like man like they're taking a bit of a gamble here because I haven't I hadn't really proven myself at that stage so I was just like really grateful and bro it was like a dream come true i knew i knew that this was like going to be the start of my actual uh professional rugby journey and i fucking was so stoked eh? i was like this is mean so yeah i can i can even see it you know when you're when you're speaking about it now like you're still lighting up yeah bro. um and that year 2020 so you were still battling injuries mm. throughout that year right did you get any chance to play on the footy field or did that happen in 2021 um 2020 i I was battling a bad back and I got I got through the season. I had a few um, cortisone injections in my back, my lower back, which didn't really help at all. It was just like putting a plaster and trying to save a licking boat. It was terrible. Yeah. Like I was that sore. Are they nasty to get, by the way? Ah, uh, bro, they're pretty sore, to be honest. Like when they put the needle in and they put some sort of anesthetic in there, but you can still feel it and they start injecting like Ugh. this um, – steroid into you and i could just feel it tingling down like it sent like an electric shock down my sciatic nerve which goes all the way down your yep. leg and it was, the, it was so sore bro but i had a couple of those no anti-vaxxers for cortisone injections i'm guessing <laughs> nah man i was asking for more was that sore but um what was the question where I sort of went uh, off about Injuries in 2020. Oh, yeah. And then, um, so I didn't actually have any surgeries or anything that year. I was just battling with a bulge disc. Um, 
and it, I was lucky enough to play a couple games, but I I just hang on like I was I was battling sort of thing, and then by the time I got down to the Highlanders, they took one look at me and they were like, "Bro, you're fucked." They saw me run once and they were like, they they pulled me back inside, and this was like I was going down there sort of um, hoping to start off my pref professional career, you know, like make good impressions, train real hard, and then hopefully play for the Highlanders. Um, and they took one look at me and they were like, bro, you, you need surgery like ASAP. And this was the first um, I'd even heard the word surgery like being thrown around. So to hear that, I guess it, it broke me a little bit. Like it was before but the season had even started. I went down early just to try to get a head start because I knew I was, you know, I was young and they try and do that. Um, and yeah, unfortunately I got ruled out from day minus one. You know, so I was out for the year after that, um, and, which was tough. And you're, you know, you're going into this team. You want to make that first impression, and mm -hmm. you're probably one of the most hungry players there in terms of being a rookie, mm -hmm. wanting to debut, impress the coaches, and really make a name for yourself. What, what did that really make you feel? You know, what sort of feelings did you have inside when you knew you had to have surgery and actually go through this sort of setback? A lot goes through your head, bro. A lot goes through your head. But I guess in terms of like me going into that environment um, and not being able to prove myself on the field, that was probably the hardest thing. Like all these guys, you know, they're new to the team, but at least they get to earn respect and earn, and, and build these relationships on the field, you know, when you're going through these tough days at the office. And I didn't have that. So I guess it was tough. I sort of felt like a little bit left out in my first year down there. But I, I say that, but I still had an awesome time because the Highlanders' environment is really cool. Like, it's it's driven by the players and, and I guess, led by the coaches and there's an awesome group of boys down there, so it's cool. But, yeah, it was it was definitely tough. I sort of felt like it was a little bit hard to connect with some of the boys and I was just, yeah, I was itching to get out there, bro. Yeah, that must have mm. been so frustrating. Yeah. What is it like to go into that environment, you know, your – in a team with Aaron Smith, you know, all black greats. What's it like to be rubbing shoulders with him in the changing room and just, you know, behind the scenes? Bro, like when you talk about it like that, you're like, holy shit, it sounds crazy. It is but crazy. Like, it is crazy. It is crazy. But then when you meet these guys, you realize oh, they're actually just one of the boys. Like I remember the first first couple of days I met um, Nuggy, Aaron. He followed me on Insta and I was like, what the heck? This is like the big big dog that I've sort of been um, watching play my whole childhood. And I was like, for him just to be one of the bros, you know, like even a little thing like follow me on the gram, I was like, this is cool. So you slowly, you sort of like realize, um, even though there's all this hype around them, that at the end of the day, they're just normal blokes, bro. Totally. And especially down at the land, it's like, it's just a, a bunch of good lads and, and they're all really humble. So it's, it's, it's cool, bro. Yeah. What do you learn from somebody like Aaron Smith, you know, actually being in his team and the characteristics that he has behind him as a leader? What has he he taught you without getting too deep, bro? Yeah, uh, I guess the one thing that's really noticeable with Nuggy is his his work rate on and off the field, like his, his preparation um, is next level. Like he almost doesn't switch off like he, he he says he does but i don't reckon he does he's genuinely obsessed with the game and he takes his prep to a whole nother level which is why he's one of the the best players in the world if not the best at his position yeah yeah mm. yeah it must be interesting to see what those sort of outliers are and you know 
the greats, how they are separated across from the ordinary, you know, rugby player and, and must just be the little things that they do. It which, is, bro. It's the one percent. It's yeah, the one percent. Everyone talks about it, but yeah, it, it genuinely is. Like you have some of the most resly guys, but sometimes they can be the guys that, that don't really care or don't want to put in the extra work. Yeah. Whereas like you have those guys like Nuggy, um, who's the who's the opposite. He's talented, but he, he works harder than anyone. So What's that quote? Um, hard work beats mm. talent if talent doesn't work hard. Yes, Something sir. like that. Yeah. So true. If we move to, you know, 2021 and you've recovered from this back surgery and, you know, you're actually playing lacing up against against the Crusaders at home, what was that feeling like in the sheds before running out for your debut? Oh, bro, not just in the sheds, but the whole week from when I got named up until we played was like <laughs> it's hard to explain it was the craziest week ever because like you know this is going to happen this is finally like your, your dream coming true like it's it's coming into fruition but from the minute I got named all my levels like my anxiety levels my excitement and everything I was that nervous like I couldn't sleep everything was just through the roof um for the whole week um when it came to play I don't know, everything just like, it just happened, bro. It was, it was a crazy experience. It's hard to put into words, bro. It's hard to put into words, but like, it's it's definitely something that I'm so proud of and I'm I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity. Like, it it's was, amazing, bro. And I awesome. think, you know, for other people out there to hear you say, you know, even that you were feeling like anxiety mm. um, and those sort of pressures. Um, yeah. But it's so true. Like, you know, you're televised on, on national TV. I actually remember during that game, um, I live in a in a little one bedroom and I had my daughter around, Kyla, and I had to tea I, I made her dinner, um, had Sky go on the lappy, um, put on like a few episodes of SpongeBob for her, and then went into the other room so I could watch the game. How good, oh, my man. man. Um and and what a game you had, you know, scoring a try, um a, a like a good thirty meter dash down the wing as well. What was like? Could, could you? Did you believe that you could score? Um, and what was that? F you, you, like, did you think it was a, a dream? Because they always say, you know, if you yeah. make a debut, you want to debut strong and hard. Yeah. Um, and you did exactly that. It, it's it's sort of funny. Yeah, it was sort of like everything that could have happened happened. Like everything sort of went right for me in my debut. I was really lucky. I ended up getting man of the match, scored, you know, my dad and my stepmom were there supporting. Like it was genuinely like a dream come true. The only thing is we didn't get that icing in the cake. We mm. lost. Mm. Fair play to the Crusaders, their unreal side. But yeah, bro, it was it was crazy. And I definitely didn't think I would have scored. Like, um, I don't know, you sort of dream of it. And when it actually happened and it was unfolding, I genuinely thought my my legs were gonna fall off, bro. I was like, <laughs> I was running on water, bro. Felt like the like I was in a marathon or something. But yeah, when I put the ball down and I I threw it up in the air and I just like spread my arms and I was like, boys, the come boys here, came boys came here, came and gave me a hug. I think it was Nuggy and Nani, two of my bros. So bro, it was the best feeling, genuinely the best under the roof. Like round one versus the Crusaders and four side buttons pumping i was like oh, all dreams. the dunnings breathers there bro, too in yeah. the zoo the zoo's absolutely popping off i'm like man this is this is what i live for you know love it man love mm. it what can you say about the sort of physical conditioning to be you know a professional rugby player in new zealand what sort of training do you guys go through um in order to get 
up to sort of physical spec, ready to perform. Because man, you're lacing up against some some animals, some some big big men. Yeah. Uh, the physical conditioning side of thing is, is we don't really get a break, bro. These days, like rugby is a full year sort of thing. We get a you get a month off over Christmas and then two weeks over um, in between minor ten and super rugby, but. Other than that, we're, we've got programs, we're training like a full-time job, you know, sort of 8.30, 9am to, I guess, 4pm in the afternoon. So not quite um, a standard office hours, but yeah, bro, we get put through the ringer and I think everyone's sort of, they see these super rugby players and they're like, man, these guys are living the dream, but they don't actually see what goes on behind closed doors. It's like when we're not under the, the big bright lights, that's that's actually where all the hard work goes in like yeah when we, we're having fun on a saturday but man on a tuesday wednesday thursday we're getting smoked and and a pre-season for super rugby is last year last year was the toughest thing one of the toughest things i've ever done i was like every day we're running like carrying things it's it's hard to put into words and just professional environment like super rugby is I think just the pressure and um, the competitiveness of even being in that environment itself is really draining. So it's pretty hard. Um, it's a pretty hard environment to be in every single day. But yeah. like, I mean, that's why we get pretty good results out of it. I guess, like, yeah, mm. yeah. I can imagine the the preseason training must be pretty tough after mm. you've had, you know. A few months off, probably had a few pies, enjoyed yourself over Christmas. A few too many spates. A few too many spates, plug the sponsor. <laughs> um, what what does that teach you about discipline too, bro? You know, and, and, and work ethic, I think, is the big thing there from being around those boys. I think it's around balance. Uh, you've, one thing that the Landis has taught me is the ability to switch on and switch off. I think, um, yeah, bro, like when it's time to work, we work. But then at the same time, when it's time to play, we play which is literally, it's, it's, we're told that's all good at the Highlanders, which low-key like differs in other unions, like the Crusaders, for example. They're not, they're not so, mm. you know, they're not so for that. Yeah. But I think, yeah, bro, that's definitely one thing that's helped me, like just accepting that it's all good to have a break, you know, it's all good. Just <laughs> don't let it get out of hand, you know, have that balance, still train, I don't know, three times a week or something in the off-season or go hard, you know. Yeah, yeah bro. Work hard, play hard. Exactly, play uh, harder. Play harder. That's the one. Um, for the for the rest of the for the rest of the season, you know, you like you had a really good season. Scored another meat pie against the Crusaders. Um, and when I watch you play, bro, um, you know, you play with so much confidence mm. um, and confidence in the ability of yourself. You know, taking those high balls, like actually backing yourself to to to, um, to break the line. Um, where where does where does that confidence come from? Is that some inner belief you've always had, or is that taught? Uh, it, it's definitely not taught, although it is backed by like my coach Tony Brown. I sort of asked him before I made my debut. I was like, "How much free license do I have to just go out there and play?" And before, like, that's what I was gonna say, but I, before I could even finish the sentence, he was just like, "Free, just go out there, do oh. your thing." So to have a coach that says that to you, and he had he'd seen me play two games in my whole life, like he hadn't really seen me play, so. To have someone back you like that at, at the level we were playing at was crazy. Like I was stoked. I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm just going to go play. But I think the confidence is something I've always sort of had. I guess it comes, I think it comes down to like my competitiveness. Like 
growing up i was the monopoly board flipper i was like if we were playing something bro i'm sweating i'm i'm like there's <laughs> my little brother's the exact same bro but i was i was that guy you know i'm if i'm playing i'm going 100 and i'm gonna beat you <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if it's social it's not social to me i'm i'm playing so i think a lot of it comes down to that it and sometimes it might look like confidence but it's actually just me giving it my 110% because, yeah, my mum always said go out or go home and I guess that's something I've always done, bro. 100%, man. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, you had a had a successful year. Uh, what what were some of the other highlights that you had throughout that season, man? Um, some of the other highlights. The We beat the Crusaders at home. That was, that's my number one highlight. Um, I think, I think just actually sort of proving to myself and everyone else that I am good enough to be at that level was was a really good feeling, although it didn't last that long because uh, I'm guessing we're going to talk about it soon. I got injured. But, I mean, um, yeah, bro, just being in Dunedin, being in the Highlanders' environments, you can't beat it, bro. Honestly, it's the best. Yeah. Up the Landers. Up the Landers, baby. We're winning We're winning next year's Super Rugby, so if you're a betting man, bet on it. That's cool. Um, <laughs> for uh, – and well, – We'll touch on the, on the injuries shortly, but something I did want to touch on and hear from you was, um, you know, how have you perhaps dealt with imposter syndrome? And if you don't know what imposter syndrome is or the people listening, it's when you, it's when you get feelings when you feel like you're a fraud. You know, you feel like you might not be good enough and mm. that can happen to the most successful people. I think Jacinda Ardern has also actually said when she was first prime minister she she felt those same feelings of actually not believing in herself to have the capabilities to do this role and i'm and i'm sure that must be the same in professional sport especially as you're starting out mm. um a recent study said about 70 percent of people do like do have that feeling of imposter syndrome in some stage of their life yeah have you ever dealt with that bro and and if you have do you mind just touching on that yeah I think because my first year, I didn't really get my chance to prove myself down to the Highlanders. My second year, um, these feelings of self-doubt um, definitely crept in, especially as I was dealing with injuries. I was sort of, um, you know, talking. I was having these negative thoughts around, am I am I even good enough to be here? Am I still going to be able to play? All, all these sort of things. And I think injuries are, can play a big part in, in this negative self-talk. But I think what's important is having a good support crew around you that's always going to back you and have your back and just deep down always having that confidence and belief in yourself because, you know, if you put your mind to something and you back yourself 100%, you, you're going to achieve it. I believe that and, yeah, you should too. <laughs> yeah. Words of wisdom, heard it from the man himself. Yeah. Um, now let's move over to the injuries that you've had. You know, obviously you've had, had the back injury. You seem to mm -hmm. be, you know, picking up quite a few unluckily like look rugby's a bloody physical sport man and it's mm. kind of luck of the draw whether or not you walk away scot scot free or you do pick up some niggles along the way um for those who are just listening as well connor's got his left uh his left arm in a cast a nice black one too with some mm. rubber bands on it best friends bracelets for best my friend brother bracelets um <laughs> what happened there i think if i remember you dislocated your elbow i did dislocate my elbow that was actually um, that was last year. That was but as I healed from my back, I came back, I played two games, and I boom. Next minute, I've dislocated my elbow, so I'm out for another uh ten weeks. We were supposed to be twelve, but I rehabbed the shit out of it, so I I got back in time. And then 
<laughs> actually in my first game back after dis- dislocating my elbow I dislocated my finger as well and now I've, I've got like this ugly Mate, thing the claw the claw oh, yeah jeez it's actually <laughs> it's pretty good out. it's pretty fat in there right? yeah it's it's not pretty but um <laughs> so I got there I went for a, a, a niggly little run of these injuries and I thought boom that's me done I should be good for a while and then obviously had that good run of of few games I think I played six um for the Highlanders and then yeah went up for a high ball against the Chiefs and fell back and broke my wrist did you play for the rest of that game as well did you go off straight yeah. away or? nah yeah I played I didn't actually know what I'd done I just knew that it was sore so because yeah. I sort of landed on it real weirdly so I just I felt it strapped it up real tight and I played for the rest of the game and then straight after the game I went over to my doctors and I was like man my wrist is a bit sore like can you guys have a look at it and they were like nah it's sweet you know they were pressing right where the break was but I was like oh it's not that sore I can feel it but it's not that sore and they sent me home <laughs> and then like two days later I, I sent them a couple texts over these two days and I was like oh it's a bit sore blah 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 they were like okay all good we'll come and um we'll check it out on Monday. So I went in on Monday and then they said, oh, hang on a minute, this doesn't look that great. I was like, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> so I went over um, up the road to have x-rays and found out that I had a clean break in my scaphoid. And it was a clean break too? Yeah, yeah it was a clean break. Like it, it was, in terms of scaphoid breaks, it was probably the best one you'd want if you broke that bone because That's- if you know anything about um a scaphoid break they can be really niggly like they've got poor blood supply which means they don't heal well so I was in a cast for six weeks and when I found out well six weeks initially and when I first found that out I was gutted I was like man I've just had my injury run why is this happening again you know I was like I'm feeling on top of the world and then mm. it all sort of just came crashing down so I let myself just feel that for a few days I think that's an important part of the process and then um and then I embarked, I guess, on this journey of, of trying to get it healed, which was first a six weeks in a cast, and then uh, X-rayed it as soon as I got that off, and it was still broken. And so that injury, sorry, bro, just that um, that wiped out the rest of your season. Right? That wiped yeah. out the rest of my season. Oh, I was maybe going to clip the back end of Super Rugby Trans Tasman, which was against That's this. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was maybe yeah, going to yeah. get the last few games if it healed really well and then my rehab went well which is like it was a small chance but I was like man I hope this happens sort of thing um yeah and so I spent the first six weeks in a cast and thought I was going to be good to go got it off still broken and then we were at a crossroads of oh okay do we get surgery or do we put it in a cast for another six weeks and then hope it heals by itself and my doctor sort of made the decision for me he was like nah we don't want to risk it let's get the surgery done so I was like sweet as 10 days later had the surgery um which meant I was in a cast for another five weeks and then a a splint for three so another eight sort of thing and at this stage I knew I wasn't going to play for the rest of the season I was in that transition period between Super Rugby and Mitre 10 so I moved back to Wellington hoping that I'm going to play um get real close to it I almost did (laughs) <laughs> and lucky I didn't but then we went into lockdown the weekend I was supposed to play off the bench and um which was I, I was sort of really lucky because I was gonna play and I knew it wasn't ready but I was gonna do it anyway mm. because I was just that like king. Yeah, hungry I was that it. hungry bro I just wanted to get into it and my the rest of my body felt mean but it was just my wrist so I was like nah I can get away with it I'll be sweet um 
in lockdown happened, trained real hard. And then I thought, oh yeah, my wrist is feeling good. And then sort of had one more scan after lockdown, hoping that this would be my final uh, box to tick before I could play again. And then boom, nah, sorry, mate, you got to have another surgery. Right. Yeah. And how come you had to go through another surgery? Is that a muck up from the surgeon's end? Or? Nah, it's just bad luck, bro. They put a screw in there hoping the screw would bring the break close enough together to where it would heal naturally. But I was just part of the small percentage that just gets unlucky, bro. Yeah, and that's frustrating, knowing that it's not anyone's fault. It's not anything that I did. It's not the surgeon's fault. It's just my body... I guess not, not being, not cooperating with me, bro. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Drink that milk, bro. That calcium. <laughs> I know. Something like that, eh? I did hear from an old video from TJ Perinara, I think, and he, he suffered a, uh, an ankle break when he was in his early career. And that made him, you know, I think he really questioned himself and who he was sort of as a person because as a rugby player, you know, rugby is your identity. Mm. And he said that he saw himself as a rugby player, but he didn't see himself as a person playing rugby. Bro, yeah. Can you can you relate to that at all? I can relate to that a little bit, bro. Uh, I've sort of always had things going on outside of rugby, so I wouldn't just see myself as a rugby player, but I know if I didn't have that, I, I wouldn't know what I would be, you know? I've always, yeah. So I guess going through injuries, that's sort of the silver lining. It gives you an opportunity to explore these other avenues and mm. get into other things that you might not have um i've tried to get into photography which is pretty cool <laughs> yeah How's it going? it's going good bro i've taken a few cool pics you got um a camera set up for that yeah i've got it i just bought i just went down to no leamings and bought um it's a canon 200d nice. mark ii or something nice. yeah Man. yeah bro but i definitely see what t just saying there um yeah, mm, mm. yeah, man. It's uh, it's it's definitely a part of the game. It comes with its scars for sure. Um, how far through are you at the moment with your recovery? At the uh, moment, bro? Five weeks post surgery now, so I have another four in a cast, and then hopefully a month of rehab. So come January, I'll be hissing, fingers, hissing. Love fingers it. crossed, bro. Love it. Fingers Love crossed, it. I'll be hissing. Definitely get some uh, bicep curls, eh? I'm on gonna that, need on that to. Arm. I'm gonna need to. You were saying earlier how how small your arms got, and but to be honest, it still looks bigger than mine. So, <laughs> nah, bro, you got them guns. I know you've been working on your guns. Oh, bro, no, not at all. <laughs> so, and what can we expect from Connor Garden Bashup heading into twenty twenty two? What's on what's on the cards, bro? Uh, what's on the cards? Well, I'm hopefully going to go down south to the Highlanders again and try i guess reclaim that number 15 jersey bro that's my goal nice um another goal i get i, I want to put my hand up for that Maldives team Man. that'd be pretty cool something um jackson's done before me so if i can follow in his footsteps once again that'd be cool yeah bro those are my two goals for next year awesome brother mm. when do you head back down south to the to the landers uh it'll be the first so around jan 10th i'd say i'll probably cruise down cool nice yeah. nice um, and obviously outside of footy, you know, you're a busy man and also a young dad. So welcome to the club. Uh, Dilf uh, club. Yeah, man. Dilfies. <laughs> um, always sussing some dadmen. Yeah, um, a bit of dadmen on the cards. Mate, we'll give you credit for that saying. Um, that's bloody classic. Tell us, tell us about, you know, the news when you first heard that you're going to become a dad, bro. Like for me, obviously as a young dad as well, 
fuck, man, it was terrifying. So, mm. so scary. And mm. we've had chats about this personally before, yeah. but it, it is a really momentum. Um, it's just a, it's just a massive time in somebody's life and probably the biggest responsibility you can be given. Yeah, um, for sure. What was that process like for you? Um, when I first found out, I was probably too calm. I was probably like, I, 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 yeah, it's hard to remember. It was quite a long time ago, but I was, I think I was pretty chill and I was like, okay, but I was only chill because I, I thought that there's no way this is going to happen. Like, I just didn't think it was real. Mm. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I just thought it was sort of going to go away. Yeah. And the longer time went on, the more scared the more like terrified I got, bro. And um, I was up here initially, so I was around my family. Although, and I, I didn't tell anyone, which was something we 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 both did, bro. Um, so I was dealing with this sort of behind closed doors, and um, I took it down south with me, and then yeah, I I went through that whole year whilst dealing with that back injury, having this sort of. I, at, at the time I saw it as this massive like problem I was mm. like man this is the worst thing ever and I, I was dealing with it all by myself like which is looking back on it it was the stupidest thing I could have done like I I wish I had talked to someone about it, it would have made the process a whole lot easier but anyway I didn't and we, we live and we learn bro I think it's that typical you know Kiwi male thing eh? where it you is. just bottle up your problems because yeah. dude I resonate with that so strongly you know yeah. I did exactly the same thing when I yeah. got told the news I didn't tell my family maybe told a handful of my mates like mm. later in the in the um and d- during the pregnancy yeah um yeah just bottle it up eh bro it's 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 genuinely a problem but i think the longer you leave things the harder it gets as well so yes. i think yeah if we can just encourage like being open and talk, having conversations like this as much as possible for, for younger generations i guess the better off they'll be um but yeah bro like i didn't tell a soul until the babies were born so I moved back to Wellington and um and I'm coming home to two baby girls and I'm like what the fuck am I gonna do bro I'm like what the fuck at this stage like I I seriously couldn't sleep I whenever I had a minute of downtime it was on my mind I was like what am I gonna do like I didn't know what to do Mm. um and the the only reason uh, it was not the only reason but what actually made me pull trigger on telling my stepmom initially was I had a dream I had a dream that I told someone and I just I told her and I woke up crying my eyes out so I just as soon as I as soon as I you know gathered my my thoughts and stuff I texted her and said I'm coming over tonight blah blah, blah. went over and um when I had a minute to, 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 when we had a minute to ourselves, we were in the lounge and I just looked at her and I was like, can we talk? <laughs> you would have been shitting bricks. I was like seriously anxious. Like my heart was beating through the roof and I was like, I just need to let this out because I can't deal with this anymore. It's too, this, this thing is, the situation's too big. Like I can't hide from it. So the hardest thing was actually telling someone, but as soon as that was over, everything got better. And, and as soon as I said, ask Belle, um, oh, we need to talk. I said, we need to talk. And she looked at me and she was like, have you got someone pregnant? And I said, well, kind of. She was like, oh, no, she's had an abortion. I was like, uh, no, 
she's had the kids and she's like oh she's had the kid I said and she's and she's like what it's like yeah and then and then I said oh by the way there's two and we're both like really like we're in pieces at this stage like she's like well where are they I was like they're in the hospital man like what do we do she's like we're going we're going now we jumped in the car I'm like I can hardly see I'm seeing through my tears and we drive to the hospital and it was during COVID as well so they weren't going to let us in um but they made an exception because obviously this is like they're in Niku because they were um prem as twins often are but yeah we we got in and then all of a sudden I'm handed these two baby girls like here and I'm just like it was a weird feeling bro I was like instantly yeah attached yeah 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 yeah, when you when you have like, I have two. You got one, little versions of yourself. Like, uh, it's hard to put into words. Eh? It's a feeling you can't really describe either. But like, you can't even help but love them. Like, for, as soon as I met them, from that moment, I was like, why was I being such an mm. idiot? You know, like uh, this is this is awesome sort of thing. Yeah, yeah it but, definitely puts puts shit into perspective and you realize yeah. especially and i felt exactly the same when i finally told my mum at least you didn't have the reaction that my mum had she thought i was coming out being gay so um <laughs> <laughs> but you realize how how positive it actually is you know mm. actually like bringing a new life into the world like that's one of the most magical things ever it's fucking some, beautiful and some people can't have kids bro so exactly exactly like, it's a blessing it's a blessing and the dad life um, chose us, so we didn't choose it. So That's the go. one, man. That's the one. <laughs> oh, and you absolutely wouldn't trade it for the world. No, nah, sure. Um, how did uh, how, how did your stepmom react to the news? You know, was it she, instantly a positive thing? She she was she was awesome, to be honest. Like she didn't get angry. She was really supportive. My whole family, I take my hat off to them because um, I take my hat off to them because. Uh, I guess we're a big family, like, we're really about it. You know, everyone's there for each other in my family. We've got four boys, four girls, and then um, dad and Bella. So we're, there's a big bunch of us, and we're all tight as. So oh, I'm really lucky that um, I'm in this family, I guess, because they all had my back, and they just, um, from, from day one, I guess, loved them just as much as I did, sort of thing. Yeah, bro. Yeah, man, beautiful. What sort of motivation did it did it give you? I know certainly when I first had had Kyla, my daughter, mm. it really ignited a whole bunch more like fire under my belly. I was like, shit, okay, whatever I'm doing in my life now isn't just for me. Mm. You know, I've actually got another another mouth to feed. But in your case, you got two of them. <laughs> um, yeah. What sort of what sort of motivation did it provide you, bro? It, I think it just gives you a whole lot more purpose, like as you said like i'm not this isn't just about me anymore like I, i've got to do well so that i can provide for for these girls you know it's yeah like it just puts things into perspective like thing problems that your friends are going through i, I don't know just might not seem as yes yeah yes as as relevant or as prominent as because you're dealing with like life yes you know totally I'd, and I'd, two yeah <laughs> so. i'd always crack up when i'd see you know and this is no stick at all to any of my mates <laughs> yeah, not, not, not trying to dog them but yeah. it's the reality when you become become a dad and i'll feel this too you know and when you hear people and I, I definitely felt this in the office like in work where there's people who don't have kids they're like man yeah I'm just so full on at the moment or, or such a rush getting to work at the moment. It's like, you just had to worry about yourself. 
Mm. You know, there wasn't like another little person yet to okay, get your undies on, chuck on your socks. Uh, no, brush your teeth. Like all of those little things. Mm. Um, but I think it does ground you in a really good way. And it, it makes you hang around the right people as well. And, you know, the people that you might have hang out beforehand who probably weren't doing too good for you in terms of being around the people that you, you want to be around. Um, I think it just really sh- shapes shapes that perspective um, around who you want to spend your time with. Yeah, bro, for sure. Agree, 100. Do you ever think, because you look at your father now and you know that feeling when you're a little kid staring at your dad mm. and, you know, there's just so much love and it's like, wow, just, yeah, just, it's just that, that warmness is the mm. only way I can describe it. Mm. Does it ever buzz you out that you provide that same feeling to someone else, being your daughters? Yeah, bro. Uh, wow. I don't know. I'm sort of in a different position to you. You know, they don't live with me. So I guess all I want is for them to have that one day. So what I'm going through now is trying to lay these foundations and set up, you know, just, I guess, trust the fact that one day things are going to be awesome and and they're going to turn around and realize, oh, this is dad, like, even though they, 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 I think they do know, but you know, I think um, as time goes on, our bond will just get stronger and stronger, and they'll realise, ah, oh, this is. I can't wait to have that feeling, bro. Like, yeah, bro. yeah. No, that's 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 definitely pretty magical. Mm. Um, how old are they now? Uh, they're one on the, but they turned one just before lockdown, bro. Crazy. So getting getting there. They're walking just about. Oh, Harlow, Harlow actually just took her first steps. Yeah, bro. So she's getting big, but Brenny's a little bit behind <laughs> that we love yeah she's a bit of a small wee bean but so, she'll she'll get there so sweet bro mm. um and there's i think another layer of like protection when you become a dad especially to daughters um and they, they always say that you know dads can be so protective have you have you had any thoughts around when they might first get like their first boyfriend Shit, and... no 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 none of that <laughs> <laughs> no bro none of that <laughs> I've said um I've said some of the boys will uh will all like buy some leather jackets and stuff or yeah, get bro. into like a garage and he'll walk up and he'll be like hi my name's Tom or something and I'll just give him the most man handshake he's ever had yeah we'll be drinking Cody's and just try and scare him off yeah I'll be there bro yeah I'll bro. be there man, man you call me as well it could be like <laughs> a little good service it could be bro yeah it definitely could be but um nah I've got a little sister Eva she's um. She's eight, and I've already told her she's not allowed a boyfriend till eighteen or twenty or something, something ridiculous. But <laughs> yeah, twenty five. Yeah, to be honest, if I was a little boy, I wouldn't go anywhere near any of the girls in my family because my family is like, yeah, I don't know, we're big and we're crazy, and yeah, I, I don't know, it's something to be afraid of. Yeah, bro, definitely. I always think as well, it's such a, such a different age, even from, you know, when our parents grew up to when we grew up and now Mm. to when our kids are growing up, Mm. especially in regards to social media and how digitalized everything is. What's your, what's your thoughts on social media at the moment, man, as it stands? Um, there's, ah, there's good and bad sides to everything, bro. And I think that's just, that's the exact same with social media. Like it can be used as a really good platform, but I think a lot of the stuff we see on there is not real and it sets, you know, unrealistic expectations for, I guess, our young kids growing up. So I don't know how how we can ever change it because it is reality now, mm. but, I mean, I guess what we can do as parents is try to limit it and, I guess, regulate mm. 
how much they're getting exposed to sort of thing. Totally. Mm. Um, and if you've seen that, you know, documentary, the social, social dilemma, that's pretty, that's pretty fucking terrifying. Eh? It kind of validates everything you think of. And they ask all of the, the massive sort of tech uh, chief executives and the person who invented like, you know, the like button on Facebook mm. at the end of the doco, they say, um, so do your kids have access to social media? And all of them say no. Wow. Yeah. I haven't seen the doco, bro. I might have to give it a wee, a wee watch. Mm, it's pretty crazy. It's far out. So these big CEOs, they don't let their kids on social media. Yeah. And these are like the minds who actually made the thing, um, like the software developers and it was, yeah, definitely an eye, an eye opener for me. But social media Fire addiction up. is so, so prevalent, eh? Mm. And you look at like an app like TikTok mm. and the algorithm it feeds you is just to keep you on there, keep yeah. you engaged. I deleted it, eh? Yeah, good, good, man. Like you having withdrawals? You like twitching and shit? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, oh, to be honest though, Instagram started Reels, which is basically TikTok, but on Insta. Um, so maybe I need to spend less time on that, but bro, yeah, it's so bad how much time you just waste staring at a screen. Bro, I know. It's terrible. I wish they weren't a thing. Yeah, totally. Mm. Just imagine how much more present you'd be. Bro, the people that live through their phones, oh, it grinds my gears, eh? Like, I mean, just open your eyes, look up for a second and take in the world around you. You don't have to tell everyone what you're having for breakfast. If that's what you're into, by all means do it, but like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, 100%, there's, bro. There's, there's levels. Yeah, there's definitely levels to it. Um, and what always fascinates me is when you finally meet somebody for the first time who you might follow, like on social media, yeah, and from a social media lens, they look so, you know, I don't know, extroverted, like so confident and stuff. And then you meet them in person and they can just be almost a shell of that. Bro, exactly. Um, and yeah, it just goes to show, man. And you look, you never share your shit days mm. on Instagram or on mm. Facebook unless it's something really major. But it's always a bit of a flex in my eyes. It is, bro. It is. It's just literally the highlights of everyone's lives. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but yeah, I guess it's just hard to put into perspective of what's real and what's not. And it definitely gives us these like false sort of, I don't know, false ideas of what people are and, you know, what. I guess, you know. Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. No, totally, bro. And look, we can. Um, I'll talk all this shit about Instagram and you know Snapchat, and then I won't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like at the end of the day, I'll still go on my phone and have a scroll. So, so <laughs> yeah. no, we're all gu guilty for it. All yeah, we are. It. How have you managed trolls online, especially being in the public eye? Have you have you had any any circumstances where people have been sleeting you hate, mm. or even just a creepy person who's popped up? Um, from your social media? Uh, I've definitely had a lot of weird messages. Oh, I'll tell you a story. Cheers, yeah, I'll ahead. tell you a story. I had this I had this one, I just thought he was a normal fan. Um, he messaged me on Instagram and he was just like, hey man, I, I think I saw you on the flight. You're on my plane today. Um, good luck for the game. Blah, blah, blah. Like I'm a massive fan. I was like, I replied because like, why not engage with your fans sort of thing. And I just. I'm getting Stan Eminem vibes. Like, <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. My name's Stan. Bro, like, it was weird, man. I, I didn't know this at this stage. But I was just like, thanks, bro. <laughs> and, then, and then after the game, he was like, awesome game, man. I love seeing you play. Like can you add me on, um, can you give me your phone number? Like I want to, I want to FaceTime you. And he started like approaching me on, he messaged me on Facebook. He messaged me on Instagram, like just bombarding me with all these weird 
sort of messages like he's like calling me handsome and so and he said a a lot more than that if you get my joke Mm. read between the lines yeah Yeah, he was real real weird and bad so i just blocked him on everything and yeah he was yeah he messaged me on facebook he was gutted that i blocked him so i just blocked him on facebook too well you know he's probably gonna listen to this yeah well shout out to you brother And you do get those other dickheads like commenting on your photos, like, you, you know, just general hate, bro, but you just, I don't know, delete it and mm. try not to let it get to you. Yeah. Do you pay much attention to like the comments and stuff? I guess, you know, there's always that pressure if you do have a shit game, all of the critics start to come out. And the thing about social media is every, everybody has, has opinions, right? It mm. could be, you know, a fat, bloody 55 year old in their mum's basement, but mm their voice is still as loud as the person saying, yeah, good job, Connor, great game. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably bad because I actually do read some of the comments say, like, I'm just just out of curiosity, curiosity, bro, I go on, like, if the Highlanders post something about the game, I'll click on the comments and just have a wee scroll and just see what, see what people say because, I don't know, I find it entertaining. And, man, people in New Zealand are ruthless, like, especially towards rugby players. I don't know what it is that makes them think that it's all good to tear someone down like this, but if you have one bad game, um, you can honestly just like never live it down and people are just going to shred you to the bone. And it's like, why, bro? What do you get out of that? Mm, exactly. It's not all good. No, it's not. Um, I think for all of these fans, you know, you get some diehard people there who just mm. bleed blue, bleed red, whatever yeah. the team is. Um, and for them... It's their life, and look, those are the fans that make that that make up the game, right? They're the ones that that pay the bills, buy the buy the tickets to the game every week. But yeah, dealing with dealing with internet trolls is a, just a whole other beast, eh? Yeah, it is a beast, and I and I think de- like dealing with things, we sort of get we do get schooled a little bit on how to deal with it. So we are pretty good these days, but there's definitely like some. Pe- I know one one of my bros, he sort of had to like delete um, his social media accounts because it got to that bait like he deleted his facebook deleted his instagram and i think he might be back on facebook now but it's just sad bro mm, you know mm, yeah some dicks out there, there no is doubt about dicks it. Out there. <laughs> um do you also get you know taught around the sort of mental aspect of the game i'm guessing you guys will have like maybe psychologists there and people who sort of speak around the sort of mental side of rugby yeah yeah we get taught heaps around that it's honestly just as just as big of a part like they say um rugby is one on the top two inches of your body so like yeah we get a lot of um schooling around there we get um psych oh i don't even know the word bro too hoary it's pretty much a primary <laughs> schooling for you um love it but yeah we do get all these like mental um skills coaches coming in and um giving us tools how to deal with pressure how to deal with um self-doubt and all those things so it's a big part of um rugby and and professional environment and i think it's just getting better and better which is yeah. cool because it, it it's probably not as um prevalent in young uh young rugby like teams and schools and stuff I don't, I don't think i had anyone really really like gone to the depths of um mental like skills mm. until i reached a certain level mm. yeah do most of the boys in the highlanders like do they do they utilize that service as well like it's there's, there's no stigma it's, like sort of mm. associated to it no nah, there's no stigma and we don't nice. get a choice often the time like which is good because if we did a lot of the boys probably wouldn't go yeah 
Yeah, so we don't get a choice. They'll have like PD, they call it PD sessions, which is called personal development sessions. And um, yeah, they'll have these people come in and, and we have no choice, bro. We got to do it, which is actually, at the end of the day, it's good for us, you know. They help, they're help. they there to help us be better people. Nice, bro. Good stuff. Sort of just wrapping up, what's the next sort of, you know, five, ten, ten years look like for you, man? You you happy at the Highlanders? Stay there, smash it up, Māori All Blacks. Mm. Yeah, I do love the Highlanders, although Wellington is home and the girls are here, so mm. that's that will pay, play a part um, for my future decisions. But I mean, for the meantime, yeah, land is hard. You know, I'm going to wrap it down there. Um, there's two, yeah, I'll probably stay in New Zealand for the next two World Cups, and if I'm not at All Black by then, I'll go overseas, which is obviously like what everyone sort of does these days. You know, you've got to make hay while the sun shines, so... Yeah. I'll probably look into that um, after that next World Cup. But, yeah, the, for the meantime, I'm happy, bro. Playing for the Islanders, play for the Lions. Um, and I like switching between the two cities, bro. Wellington and Dunners, they're pretty mm. similar, but they're different as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a nice balance of being here back home and then away as well. Yeah, bro, to- totally. Yeah. Hey, before we end, and we'll end on a little bit of a quote, uh, but we'll just do some some quick sort of questions here. Who would be the worst person to run it straight to you? <laughs> uh, Don't say me, because I know I'm pretty big. Oscar Pope Moody? <laughs> um, nah, uh, probably a Safwar Omoa or Alex Fidel or Nani Lamapi. I wouldn't want to be any of those three, man. Nah, bro. Shit. Um, <laughs> who would you like to run it straight to? Jackson. Jackson? <laughs> yeah, bro. I would love to. I'd love to run it straight to Jackson and just, just for the lols, bro, just see who comes off best. That would be hilarious. It and I'm be. sure it's going to happen one day. Yeah. we we The only time we've ever played against each other was a sevens tournament in school, and I was like a midget, so nothing really happened. But we a preseason game in, um, in Alexandra this year where Highlanders played the Hurricanes and we were on the wing against each other. I came off the bench and he was just about to go off. But we looked at each other and we were just cracking up. He was like, mismatch out here. I got this guy. He's nothing. Blah, blah, blah. He was talking schmack and I was just like laughing to him. Crack up. So that'll happen. It'll Crack happen. Up. Who do you reckon will we'll, we'll get off the uh, the stronger man or get off the better side? Oof, it's hard because I'm faster, but he's, prob- he's stronger. So it'll be a good contact <laughs> mate set up the pay-per-view i can just do it in yeah. a backyard to get everyone shipping 20 bucks yeah. i'd see that i'll set my camera up yeah yeah yeah. get some photography going on yeah bro connor what is the meaning of life oh far out that's a yeah going question. from running a straight to the meaning of life is <laughs> what is the meaning of life i think the meaning of life is to spread peace love and positivity bro yeah love it. good vibes Beautiful. Good vibes only. Mm. What does legacy mean to you? Um, legacy is me, but it's my family. It's what I'm gonna what's gonna still be here when I'm gone. Yeah. It's yeah. it's the way people are gonna think about me when I die. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. If you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? Oh that's there's a lot of things that need to change, I think, but sort of on the on the topic of what we've been talking about around mental health and stuff, I think there needs to be a lot more, like a a lot more done in the younger in the younger people, like in schools and stuff. They need to be taught about mental health and given these workshops and all these sort of things and normalize it at from the young age, bro. Because there's so many young kids that are just 
ending their life prematurely because they don't know how to deal with these things and it's fucking sad man like right, it is so sad so I think the more we can do in that space the better Totoko mm. what is your advice for you know young aspiring rugby players keen to keen to make it in the big leagues what's your what's your they say two pieces of two pieces of advice for them I won't hmm, actually no I will I'll say work hard because you've got to work hard and people always say that but honestly like you're not going to get anywhere if you don't and I think I guess personally the most important thing that I've I've learned over the past few years and when I've been at my best is when I've actually just accepted the fact that it's okay to switch on and switch off Mm. and be you like you're you're at your best when you're happy and you're you know you're just you're not trying to be anyone else so beautiful man love it before we head off with the quotes, where can people keep up with you, bro? What's the uh, Instagram handles? How can they stay in touch with what you get up to? Corner Garden Bishop on Insta. And um, yeah, just keep in touch with the Lions, Wellington Lions and um, the Highlanders. Man. And you'll see me there. Copper Highlanders shirt to everybody listening. Oh, yeah. And hopefully Connick and Sussa Spates Summit our sponsorship for the podcast. That's your little work to do, eh? Shit, yeah. If you Post come this. to a game, I'll buy you a Spates. There boom, you go. Boom. Cool. Hey, uh, we'll end on a on a bit of a bit of a quote. This one's from Mark Twain. I'd be lying if I told you who I knew. Um, if I knew who Mark Twain was, I believe he was like an old writer or something. But I thought it was a pretty pretty special quote and probably quite fitting for this episode. Twenty years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things that you did do. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbour, explore, dream, and discover. Mm, beautiful, bro. Cool. We'll end on that. Connor, yep. always a pleasure, man. Never a chore. Thank you.